still, this is our first new ministry season in our new building. It's not going to be the same. It's different. We've had changes in membership. We have, uh, and, and so I just want to make sure that as we go about in this new ministry season, we're all about what the Lord wants us to be about. Uh, that we, what are we focusing on? Where are we going? How are we going to glorify God in this season? And so I want to kind of reorientate us, and uh, Hebrews 10 will start that for us. Let me read these verses. We'll also be in Philippians 2 a little bit. And so if you want to put your finger there, but I'll just read the Hebrews 10. And I will start at, uh, I'm actually going to start at verse 19, and I'll read down to 31. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us... Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is perfect, and you've given it to us not just to hear, but to walk in it. And yet, as you know, O God, we lack the will and the strength. We need your grace by your spirit to work and to will in us the desire to walk in your ways. And so please come now and teach us to do this with all of our heart, diligently fixing our eyes on all of your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a larger section, but we're going to focus mainly on verses uh, 24 and 25. Let me just talk a little bit about what's going on here. Uh, Verses 24 and 25 are part of three exhortations that all flow from the the great reality of the gospel. So we see in verse 19, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So there's the gospel. The holy place here is referring back to the tabernacle or to the temple where the priest could only enter once a year and he had to be dressed all upright, be cleansed right, could only go into the blood of an animal. Uh, And so no one was allowed in there. No one except by the blood. And now we, through Christ, the final and full sacrifice can enter right into God's presence. And not only enter into God's presence, but it says with confidence, with confidence, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So this is our privilege as believers. We're um, not just attendants at God's court. 
we're welcomed right into his presence. We'll see this in the Lord's Supper. That's what this is a picture of. This is what we have. This is the greatest thing in the universe that you and I, though completely undeserving, unworthy, are welcomed because of Christ into God's presence. Nothing like it. And then out of that great reality comes three exhortations. They all start with let us. Verse 22, let us draw near. Right? Let, us, let us come near to God. And then in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession. Right? Don't, don't, don't stop this uh, faith in Christ. Hold fast. And the one I want us to focus on, beginning in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so that exhortation to let us consider how to encourage one another, to stir up each other, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, and all the more as you see the day drawing near is all built on the gospel. So because we have this faith in God with confidence to draw near before God through the blood of Jesus, let us commit to one another in the church. So what I'm going to do is just give you some context here. Why this verse, why talking about what we're talking about as far as um, where we're going as a church. What I want you to see in these verses is there's a vital connection between you becoming more like Christ which we typically call sanctification, that process that lasts throughout your life of becoming more like Jesus, there's a vital connection between that and relationships with other believers. So we see this idea of sanctification or growth and holiness where to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. There's more we can be doing. We're not yet what we want to be, so we need this growth. And that is connected vitally here between... To relationships, not forsaking assembling together. So the first truth, that of growth and love and good deeds, as I said, has to do with sanctification. If you want a simple definition of sanctification, it simply means becoming more like Jesus. That's it. And, and if you want to know what our church is about, this is what we're about. We want to glorify God by our becoming, each of us, and together corporately, more like Christ. This is what beats in the chest of every believer. We hate that we fail God. We hate that we sin against him. We hate that we're not more useful to him in his kingdom. And so we want to become more like Jesus. When you become a Christian, this is the thing that's birthed in you. You are not yet what you want to be. And so you get on this pathway to becoming more like Christ. So that's our mission. If you were to ask, why do we come here on Sunday morning? because we want to become more like Christ. We want to glorify God by growing to become more like Jesus. If you were to ask, why are we doing these Pine Grove Wednesdays? Well, it's so that we can have a women's Bible study where women can focus on becoming more like Jesus in their femininity. Or why are we doing Awana? It's because we want to see our children saturated in God's Word. They might become more like Jesus. So the purpose behind everything that we do here as a church is uh, sanctification. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 that God's will for us is our sanctification. All right? So if, if you were to ask me what's God's will for my life, I'd tell you. I can tell you. I know God's will for your life. It's that you become more like Jesus. That's it. That's it. And then that reality 
of our deep desire to become more like Jesus is connected to the regularly gathering with God's people. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. No Christian should forsake the regular gathering together of his or her local church so that you might stimulate each other to become more like Jesus, which is defined here as growing in love and good deeds. So that answers the question, how? Why do we do what we do? So we become more like Christ. How does that happen? Gathering as Christians. So God does this all the time. He accomplishes supernatural, spectacular realities, you becoming more like his son, through rather ordinary means, gathering together as a church. The Christian life is wonderful like this. God accomplishes way beyond what you and I could ever do by doing the simplest of things. It's it's simple to gather with God's people. It doesn't require much unless you have a bunch of kids in the morning. Right? Moms are magnificent what they can do to get a whole family ready. But other than that, it's just coming here, being with God's people, and then God uses that to make you more like Jesus. The tool he has given us is a regular one. It's an ordinary one. But let's state this plainly. The way God has designed our growth and godliness is by gathering together with other believers. You could say that negatively. You won't grow if you're not gathering. If you want to know why you're not growing... Like you might want to, it's because you're just not gathering with God's people like you should. It's just a simple reality. Growth and godliness is stunted primarily because we think we can do it alone. We're Americans. We're rugged individualists. We, we want control of our lives on our terms. But Christianity is coming to Christ and giving that up, isn't it? Isn't the root definition of a Christian is one who has died to himself, taken up his cross, and followed Jesus? And I think we neglect that dying to ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus means dying to me for the sake of us. So, the answer to the why question regards to our mission and vision as in why do we do what we do? Why do we focus on growing men into leadership? Why are we focusing on Titus II mentoring relationship and women's ministry? Why so much about neighborhood small groups? Why, why, why is relationships matter to our godliness. We need to be together to become more like Jesus. The God-ordained means by which you can become more like Christ is by being more with Jesus' people. And this is... This happens for a few reasons. When you gather with the church family, you have to gather with people that you otherwise wouldn't like at all. (laughs) Right? And that might be me. You have to gather with people who are very different than you as family. And you have to set aside your pettiness and the way that you would like things done and, and die to that for the sake of another. That's growing like Jesus. And you have to gather with people who are hurting, who are weeping, who don't know which way is up anymore. And you have to set aside your own idyllic little life in order to enter their misery. And men have to learn how to love women and vice versa. And the young have to set aside their desire to have things quiet, to have children in the service. 
We have to gather in people's homes every second and fourth Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday, whenever your small groups and, and everybody bring a meal and learn how to gather together and set aside what you want in order to serve others. And we see that primarily in the life of Jesus Christ. Let's turn, if you would, back a few books to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And let's connect this to the life of Jesus Christ. So you're getting the main point of the sermon. It is spelling out why we're here. Let me, let me bring a, a little conviction here before we jump in, if I can. I feel like you, you need a little something more here. Um, the reality is that we as Christians just don't want to become more like Jesus. We want a country club. We want something that is all about serving our comfort. That's, that's really the truth. And that's the truth for you and for me. That's the temptation of our flesh. We don't want this to cost us much of anything. We think the church is like the lion's club. A little service, some brat fries and do some good things, but it doesn't really cost you your life. Coming to the church is supposed to cost you your life. You're supposed to give your life for each other. That's what we're talking about here. And we'll see that in the life of Christ. There really shouldn't be country club Christians. Um, so here's what we see about in this. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13 of chapter 2 in Philippians. I didn't look up the page number in your pew Bible, so uh, hopefully you can, can find it. Um, and I just want to show that from Christ's life, uh, you can see this main point that I'm making here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count, yourself, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself. If we were to categorize those first five verses, that's all sanctification, right? Paul is urging them, set aside your own selfish self-focus. Consider others more important than yourself. That's the root of becoming more like Jesus. Serve each other. So he's urging them on in their walk with Jesus, in their Christ-likeness. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind amongst yourself, right? Think differently. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? Who is he? He's God. Though he's in the form of God. He is God Almighty. Even though he's God Almighty, he did not count equality to God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't a grasper. He didn't come to earth demanding he get served as he deserved. You get that, right? This is the most staggering thing about the incarnation. Jesus Christ is eternal, the eternal God. And when he came to earth, he didn't come saying, serve me as if I'm God as I am. What did he come like? What did he come like? A servant. He emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of being God. 
He emptied himself of the rights demanded as God. He laid it down. Taking the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men. He is fully God and fully man. Being found in human form. He humbled himself. Obedient to the Father. Even to the point of death on a cross. That's Jesus Christ. That's our God. Behold our God. He's not snooty. He doesn't demand we treat him in the incarnation like he is. He laid that down as rights. He wasn't born in a mansion. Right? He, he was born in a small town, backwater town, animals around him, nothing but angels and a few shepherds. He humbled himself. He didn't grasp at his rights. I think you can see the connection here. This is the image that we're growing up into. When you become a Christian, you're a little baby. You get born again. Your life starts over. And God is remaking you into this image where you don't grasp at your rights anymore. Where you don't demand we sing these kind of songs in this kind of way because you set it aside for others that you count more significant than yourself. You don't come to a small group and demand that the kids be quiet because you need to focus. You set that aside because you want to serve their interests. And the parents is more than yourself. You as a husband learn to think. Or, <laughs> Impossible. Even for God. Right? But you, you begin to try to understand your wife. Because you want to set aside demanding that she see life like you see life. This is what Jesus did. So this text begins with a call to sanctification. It then focuses on Jesus, and then it ends with sanctification. God exalts him. He gets the glory. And then in verse 12, therefore, after focusing on Jesus, therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only, in my, or not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It begins with sanctification, becoming more like Christ. It ends with that, and the middle is Jesus. This is what we're about as a church. We exalt the name of Jesus. We focus on glorifying God so you can become more like Christ. That's the point, for the glory of God. That's why we do what we do here. That's what we do like we do here. I never watched the show, but I saw the commercials for um, a TV show. I think it's like the CEO of a company, this big company, would kind of disguise himself and go and work down on the line with the paupers in the basement or whatever. This is what Christ did. He didn't cease to become God in the incarnation. He set aside his rights. He veiled his glory to serve us for our salvation. That's holy. That's glorious. And that's what he is calling us to. So go back to Hebrews as we think about Jesus. Jesus came to his people. He didn't forsake being with us. He came to us. He dwelt among us. He was in the flesh right here 
personally present. Eyeballs could see him. Ears could hear him. Fingers could touch him. He communed with us. He fellowshiped with us. He related to us. He ate with us. He talked with us. He walked with us. He rebuked our sins. He taught us. He defended us. He was with us. He didn't serve us from afar. He didn't send somebody else. He himself came. And this is what we're exhorted to here in Hebrews. The Christian life is going and being with other Christians. It's living life together. It's, it's not sleeping in on Sunday because you've had, had, a, had a hard week. It's getting up and coming to church and gathering so that you can benefit another. It's working long days and then coming home and grabbing a shower and throwing the family in the van and going to small group because you don't want to miss being with God's people because Christ is the kind of God who comes and is with his people. For what purpose? Look at these verses. For what purpose? Verses 24 and 25. Why do we gather together? For what purpose? It's not to get your needs met. It's not about you at all. It's so that you can stir up other people to become more like Christ. You are the most important tool that God has to helping your brothers and sisters become more like Christ, to defeat their sin, to become more loving and do more good for each other. You are the most important tool in human speaking that God has in his tool belt that all of us become more like Jesus, you. This is why God saved you and brought you into this family. Let's say it negatively. If you don't show up, somebody's going to be hurt. Isn't this what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14? That we're a body, each with a part, and if one part isn't doing his part, then the other parts are hurting? Do you have the faith to believe that? That you mean that much to this church? Don't we lie to ourselves all the time? I'm not that important. I don't matter. I don't preach. I'm not that important. We just lie to ourselves. We excuse ourselves. You matter to the church. You matter to me. You matter to my kids. You matter to the person seated next to you. This gets into how do you sing? Is your singing helping the person next to you believe the gospel or not? This is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. We aren't here just to feel better about ourselves. We're here to become more like Jesus. We're here to deal with our sin and get out of it. Don't you hate your sin? Don't you hate how you keep doing these things? What has God given you to help you uh, overcome it? Each other. And look at how eternally big of a deal this is. Verse 25 ends, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In your Bibles, the word day is capitalized. Or it should be if it's not. It's not a typo. The day there, if you go on verses 26 to 31, is the day of judgment. 
Look at how terrifying these verses are. Again, you need to have faith to believe these verses. You do realize that we will stand before a living God at the end of it. Uh, before your maker. At Brian's funeral yesterday, this is the thing we focused on. You're mortal. The book of Hebrews says, it is appointed on a man to die and then to face judgment. How are you going to be ready for that day? Answer it according to this book. What is the main thing God has given you to be ready for that day? Do not forsake the gathering together. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? What has God given you to be ready to stand before him and give an account? This. It's striking. And how do you treat the church? How do you think of us? What place of prominence do you give us in your life? Why do you work the job you work? Why are you raising a family? Do you pray as if this is the true reality? How do you use your finances? Do you see this? Is there anything, is there any bigger reality in your life than this day, capital D? This day of fearful expectation of judgment. And so we're given to each other to help us be ready for that day. That's what the church is for. That's what the church is for. Now, in saying this, this does not negate what Jesus has done as if somehow we become Christians because of the church. That's why verse 19 ended, began with the blood of Jesus. We are only acceptable God because of Christ's blood. But we know when we come to Christ, there's still a whole of lifetime of growing, isn't there? And the church, the relationships with other believers, the relationships with other believers, Jesus says, take priority over your family. He said, you cannot love me if you do not hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, even your own life. These relationships with these people that God has put you together at Pine Grove Community Church are of eternal significance. Let's pray. Father, please help us now as we go to celebrate your supper, to be nourished, to have strength, to live this out. We don't want to just be hearers of this word. We want to be doers. And so, God, come, strengthen us for this now with your uh, food by your spirit. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the charge is this. There's going to be lots of opportunities to gather together in the coming weeks. We have monthly meals on Wednesdays at our Pine Grove Wednesdays. We have neighborhood small groups, second and fourth uh, of, the, of the months, weeks of the months, various Bible studies, etc. So the charges, take advantage of them. But even more, if you would, we have these kind of corporate gatherings, these planned gatherings. Don't forget the unplanned ones. Who are you inviting to lunch after the service? Right? Uh, practice hospitality. Those matter too, so that's the charge. Practice hospitality. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace with him and with man through Christ. And so they, he puts his name upon his people and he blesses you. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.